When it's cold outside, thanks to Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, you'll be warm and toasty inside. Right now, put no money down, no payments, and no interest for up to two years at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Visit PellaWI.com today. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. All right, the only comment that we are going to have today on the Packers debacle yesterday, at least the only direct comment is going to come now, and it is this life lesson that I want to offer. By the way, did you hear that the report? The next three games are against Dallas, Tennessee, and Philadelphia. I mean, what, what would you say the odds are that the Packers, what, they're 3-6 and six now, but is there a better chance that they end up like 5-7 and seven or 3-9? and nine? I, I think the smart money might say 3-9, and nine, but... This is, this is my life lesson that I choose to offer to anyone who wants to take it, but especially some of the younger members of the audience, and I'm directing it also at, at my producer, Charlie. See, here, here, here is the deal. Well, um, well, a number of weeks ago, I was in Las Vegas. My wife and I were in Las Vegas, my brother and sister-in-law and my brother. And in, in Las Vegas, believe it or not, you can actually take money. And you can wager on things that you think are going to happen in the future. You can make bets. Imagine that. So at the time, the weekend I was in Las Vegas, the Packers were 3-1. and one. They were playing the New York Giants in England that, that following day. It was going to be really, I think the kickoff was like 6.30 Las Vegas time, a.m. So it's Saturday night, and it's our last night. We're flying back, and I'm thinking, okay, well, this— I, I always like to, since you're here, you can place this wager and you can, you know, uh, then you can have a little bit of money riding just to give you additional rooting interest as the season goes on. So I, I have $200 apparently burning a hole in my pocket. And so I take $100 of those and I make a bet that the Packers are going to be the 2022-2023 NFC Conference winners. And I... I place that $100 bet. I have the ticket in my hand right now. And if that ticket came in, um, they would, from the mythical city of Las Vegas, pay me $500. All right. I had another $100 that I bet on the Packers winning the Super Bowl. And at that, for the $100 that I gave them at the New York New York Sportsbook, they would have, if and when the Packers win the sport, won the Super Bowl, they would have given me $1,000. All right, so this is when the Packers were 3-1. and one. Well, we, we know what's happened since then. There's been New York Giants. There's been the New York Jets. There's been the Washington Commodores. There's been the Detroit Lions, and I forget who the other team they lost to. But they, they've lost five in a row. They are 3-6. and six. They are falling out of sight. And the, the ticket that I now have in my hand— where I would normally, like when I do this in the past, I would normally place it in the top left-hand drawer of my desk so I know for sure where it is when the bet comes in. All right, this ticket is now, and I'm holding this up as well, it is now serving as a bookmark in my paperback book, the 40th anniversary edition of the classic novel about the law school, The Paper Chase. So this this is a $100 bookmark, is essentially what it has become. So my lesson to my producer, Charlie, who's starting out in life, and to all of you is, gambling is bad. If you don't understand that gambling is bad, all you need to do is just 
all right, think about this. I could have taken the $100. I could have lit it on fire in the parking lot of the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, and it could have been a little more satisfying. So gambling, gambling very bad, and this is the latest example of it. It seemed like the right thing to do at the time, and now um, somebody says, Jeff, you can burn the tickets. Well, no, it's just, it is. It is this, and it's, and it's, it's this ticket and its brother are going to be expensive bookmarks that will remind me, at least for the foreseeable future, that, I don't know, gambling, bad. You know, no problem at all with that. I want to just mention something. I had, I was talking to my wife this morning, because I was thinking about, I had the most eclectic of weekends, and it's really, it's really kind of blessed to have this stuff. So here, here's what my weekend was. On Friday, after work, ran home, changed clothes, drove back downtown because a very dear friend of mine, she is the, the director of the Florentine Opera, and they, have, they had a big gala event at the Grain Exchange down here, and where there was dinner and a cocktail party and fundraiser, and they had performers and stuff. So run home, change Come back down. So we went to this this uh, wonderful event for the Florentine Opera. If you've never seen the Florentine Opera, you should check it out. It's I'm not a huge opera fan, but I'm a huge fan of the Florentine Opera. The talent is just incredible. So we did that on on Friday. On Saturday in the afternoon, um, I was. It was my distinct honor, and I don't understand. I don't understate that. Uh, this this year was the tenth anniversary of Operation Honor. It is put on by the city of Waukesha. It's held in downtown Waukesha, and they have a military band. It's an event that's designed to honor the, the veterans, and they have, a, they have a supper afterwards, and a, a Dan Buttrey, who runs the War Memorial, he was the keynote speaker. But most of the years, I have emceed this. I think there's a couple that I couldn't be around. But once again, we were out in Waukesha. I got to see so many people who were who are listeners of the program. But the, the, the big thing was our ability to honor veterans. So like Saturday you know, evening, got a chance to participate in Operation Honor, this wonderful Veterans Day thing. And then yesterday, in a complete contrast to you know, getting dressed up and going to a ballet, for a, a gala for the opera on Friday night, um, my dear friends, Dave and Beth, who live in West Bend, uh, together with Sister Pat, who is the wonderful lady that takes care of my, my dog whenever I'm on vacation. Well, okay, they said, we, we want to take you to some area bars. And so I thought, oh, this is great. We're going to go to watch the Packer game on a, on a Sunday afternoon, and we're going to go look at some— now, I, I'd use the word dive bars, but I don't mean to insult these places, but I like dive bars. So we went to a place called the Rusty Spur, which was in New Fame, Wisconsin— I have lived here all my life. I had never heard of New Fame, Wisconsin. But you knew the place was going to be great because when you walk in at 10 after 12, the Packer game has just started, and the woman comes out from the kitchen and says, we're all out of roasted chicken, sold out of roasted chicken already. So, you know, if they're sold out at 10 after 12, they either didn't buy enough roasted chicken or more likely they more likely it was just so very popular. So, you know, we, we stayed there, watched the first half there. More people were drinking Bush Light than I have ever seen in one spot in my life. But no, no, that, that, was, that was the drink of choice. So after, after that, we went to a place called the Little Kohler House, H-A-U-S, in Little Kohler, Wisconsin. And brothers and sisters, if you have never been to Little Kohler, Wisconsin, you're probably not going, because I can't tell you how to get there. But the Little Kohler house was this sort of ramshackle place by the side of the road, kind of in the middle of nowhere. No offense to people who might live in Little Kohler. And you, you pull in and you go on this, it's 
it's a gravel sort of driveway and you pull around in the back and there's all these cars up in blocks and there's all these like Airstream trailers that I assume are vacant. And then there's a handful of cars that are kind of scattered out, but you walk into the little Kohler house and it's like you are, you are family. Hey, good to see you all. And the gal that was tending bar is a science teacher at Oostburg high school. And next thing we know, there's, there's people that sign their names on the ceiling tiles. And next thing I know, our names are going up on the ceiling tile. So it, it was just a, a blast. But I was sitting there thinking, what kind of an eclectic weekend? You go from, I don't know, a, an, a gala for the opera to writing your name on a ceiling tile in a bar in Little Kohler, Wisconsin, and everything in between. So it was a very, very eclectic weekend. When we come back, it is your chance to play Pundit. I will explain and we will discuss. Stick around. Getting all sorts of things. People who know where the Rusty Spur is or the Little Kohler House or, um, yeah, that's, that's it. Or people who have made those bad wagers on the Packers and things like that. You know, it's always it's always just kind of a lot of fun there. All right. What is going on tomorrow? Oh yeah. There's this thing called the election. And by 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 Wednesday morning, hopefully we will have a pretty good idea of, of who has won in Wisconsin and, and overall. Now there's there's no guarantee because as we'll talk about a little bit later, it takes a little bit of while to count ballots and things like that. But the one thing I can promise you is that on Wednesday morning, at least here in Wisconsin, the um, the ads will stop at least for a little while. The next the next time you're going to be bombarded on the airways is this spring when you have the state supreme court election. But they will stop for at least a, a little bit of time, and there will be winners and there will be losers. So if you follow me on Twitter, this was the challenge I, I put out, and I, I want to emphasize that you can participate there. But I want to devote a segment or two because we've we've talked about the elections. And now it's pretty much all about, you know, who shows up and, and votes. So if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. But th- this, was, this was the Twitter challenge, but I put it out on the radio as well. Calling all amateur pundits. All right, for all those of you who think you know more than I do, and, and, and maybe you do, or you just feel lucky, here's the deal. I've got three questions. And this is what I'm asking you now. You, you've heard all the analysis. You've heard us talk about the polls. You've probably voted yourself or you're planning to go out and vote tomorrow or not vote. All right, here are my three questions. Number one, who will win the Wisconsin Senate race, Barnes and Johnson, and by what percent? Like 51 to 49, 52, 48, what do you think? That's question number one, who wins the Wisconsin Senate race and by what margin? Number two, who wins the Wisconsin governor's race, Evers or Michaels, and by what margin? And for our kind of tiebreaker question, which party will control the U.S. Senate and by how many seats? Now, right now, it's split 50-50, Republicans and Democrats, but because the vice president is a Democrat, that effectively gives Democrats, if they're able to keep all Democrats in line, it gives them control of Senate. Now, they haven't been able to keep everybody in line, but those are the questions. Who's going to win the Senate race? By what percentage? Who wins the governor's race in Wisconsin? By what percentage? And which party do you think will control the U.S. Senate and by how many seats? Now, in just a few minutes, I will give you my picks. And then, of course, Wednesday, we're going to be able to compare notes. 
But my question right now is that to you. Okay, you can participate on Twitter. You can participate on our talk and text line. The WTMJ talk and text line is 855-616-1620. And that is our phone line as well. So this is my question. You've heard it all. It's pretty much all over, but who's going to go out and vote tomorrow? So after all is said and done, who is going to win? Ron Johnson, Mandela Barnes, Tim Michaels, Tony Evers, and then what do you think the U.S. Senate's going to end up looking like? Is it going to be this red wave, or, I don't know, are Democrats going to surprise in Wisconsin and elsewhere? What do you think is going to happen? And this, by the way, doesn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily equate to what you, you want to have happen. And that happens a lot. You know, you're supporting a candidate. You know the candidate's probably not going to win. But what do you think will happen? There are pundit points here. There's no prizes. But there's pundit points. Who is going to win? 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line we discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. All right, this is your chance to be the, the pundit. Who's going to win the Senate race tomorrow? Who's going to win the governor's race tomorrow? And kind of as an extra bonus question, the Senate, U.S. Senate, is now 50-50. Who, who picks this up? And you can participate either at Twitter, it's um, at Jeff Wagner 620, or on our text line or on our phone lines. Let's see. Jeff, here's my prediction. Winners, Johnson, 452 to 48. Michaels, 52 to 48. I say the Republicans um, pick up two seats. So that would be 52 48. Colin and Delafield says Johnson by 4%, Evers by 2%, Republicans take House and Senate. Um, Jeff Johnson, 5149, Evers, 5149, Republicans, um, 5248 in the U.S. Senate. Um, Jeff, although I think Michaels will win by 2 to 3%, he won't get to 50% because the lady candidate, that's Joan Beglinger, who dropped out, will probably get 3 to 4% of the votes. Well, that's clearly what the Evers folks are counting on. Um, let's see, um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I'm predicting split tickets in Wisconsin. Johnson wins by 1.5%. Evers wins by 0.6%. That would be very close. The Republicans take the House. Senate remains 50-50. Wisconsin does not get the super majority. Jeff, Johnson will win by 10%. Michaels will win by 2%. The Republicans will... Um, uh, control Senate by two seats. Trump announces his candidacy. Hollywood flips out. Well, I think there's um, that. Jeff, the real winner will be me because I've been getting seven text messages reminding me to vote every day. Jeff, uh, let's see. I think Johnson by 3.9 percent. Walker by Walker. <clears throat> Michaels by 1.2 percent. Republican Senate 52 to 48. Jeff, Johnson wins four. Michaels, 2.1%. Republicans end up with 54 seats in the Senate. Well, you get the idea. See, and this is the one thing uh, about uh, about elections. Somebody's going to be right on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday whenever we get all the results, and other people are going to be wrong. Let's see. uh, Jeff, Michaels by 2%. Johnson by 3.5%. Republican Senate 52 to 48. That is definitely a possibility. Jeff, I don't think it's going to be close in the Senate. Johnson, 56 to 44. Michaels, 53 to 47. Republicans take the majority of seats in the Senate, 53 to 47. Jeff, Johnson, 52. Barnes, 48. Um, I believe that the reducing prison populations is sexy, comment, sunk him. Michaels, 51. Evers, 49. Senate, 52, 48. Republican, 
Um, double bonus question. I think Republicans are going to get a super majority in Wisconsin. Hmm, there is that possibility, I guess. Um, let's see. Johnson's going to win by 10%. A couple people thinking that. Uh, I would I would say <clears throat> people almost never win by a margin of, of 10%. I mean, 55-45 would be an absolute, complete, and, and total blowout. And that does it happen? Well, yeah, it happens from time to time, but it certainly doesn't happen extremely often. All right, so that's the questions. You know, where is it going to come down? We're going to take a quick break for the news. When we come back, I, I will give you, I will tell you what I think it's going to look like and then I'm going to be on record, and you can respond to that, and we'll, we'll see. That's the great thing I say about elections is that you, you do know. You get all the predictions. You get all the prognostications. You get all the money that's spent on advertising. You get all the pollsters. You get all the pundits that make their estimates. And then, you know, we find out who's right and who's wrong. I will tell you how, what I think is going to happen in just a moment. Okay. This is what I see happening. Now, I have been, as we were saying last week, last week was the, the 25th. I started my 25th year full-time here at WTMJ. I've actually been here for like 25 and a half years, but it was part-time for a little bit. And I've been on the air in this market for, I guess, full or part-time, like 28 years. And every election, I, I, I make predictions. Um, I, I have a pretty good track record, although some of you who are longtime listeners have no trouble reminding me on the ones that I got wrong. For example... Perhaps most famously, 2016, I was <clears throat> together with most people who made predictions. I didn't see Donald Trump beating Hillary Clinton. So I, I freely acknowledge I was wrong. But more often than not, I will stack up my record of predictions with pretty much anybody else's. But I, I missed 2016, and it's entirely possible that, you know, things things happen and you miss again. But here is how I see it going. And by the way, if you want to respond and you want to make your own predictions, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. We're playing our little, you know, you be the pundit game. And on Wednesday, you know, I'll, I'll review all the things that we have. And for those of you who, you know, nail it, um, we'll, we'll, we'll give you props. So what do I think I'm, is going to happen and, and why? All right. The U.S. Senate race, I think it's Ron Johnson that wins. I, I've been saying all along during the campaign the I believe that the Democrats picked the weakest of the four candidates they could possibly pick in deciding that we're going to just kind of, um, you know, christen, you know, Mandela Barnes and we're going to make him the candidate um, because he, he checks off a couple boxes. Well, I, I think that they picked the very weakest and most vulnerable candidate. And I think a lot of that has been exposed. I think this race could have been a lot different if it was, say, the state treasurer, uh, Sarah Gadluski, if she had been the candidate, if uh, the Appleton County executive, Tom Nelson, had been the candidate. I, I think that this race might have been different. But I, I think the you know, Mandela Barnes is just, there's too much baggage, too far to the left. I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to win. Um, and I understand that, you know, Barack Obama was here campaigning, but Mandela Barnes is not Barack Obama. So I think Ron Johnson wins. The percentage is kind of tough to figure, but I think I, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to say 5347. That's going to be my, my prediction, 5347. Could it be a point either way? Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think it's going to be 5347. Um, and that's that is sort of consistent with what you're seeing the, the polls 
You know, most of the polls that are out there are showing, you know, Johnson ahead by two to three. There's one out there that says by five. But I, I, I think, you know, that that's going to kind of be the range. I think 53 to 47. If it's a point either way, I won't be surprised. But I do think Ron Johnson wins, assuming everybody turns out and votes. That's my prediction. The governor's race is a much tougher thing because everything I see suggests that it is a toss-up. The most recent polls that are out show that Michaels appears to have some of the momentum up. There was one that came out yesterday that had him up by two, um, but it's 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 very, very close, you know, one way or the other. Uh, I guess my, my big question is how much ticket splitting there is going to be because if I, I understand, and we talked about this last week, that there are some of you out there who are intending to vote for Ron Johnson and then also vote for Tony Evers. I, I'm sure there's some people out there that are going to do that, but I, I don't know how many. The other wild card, as we've discussed before, is that Tony Evers is stuck at like 47 to 48 percent of the vote. That, that's where he can't get above that in, in any of the polls that I have seen. There might be some outlier, but he's really 47 or 48. So there's been this under the, the radar effort that amazingly the media has not covered Uh, where hundreds of thousands of dollars have been spent to try to encourage people who would otherwise vote for Tim Michaels to vote for Joan Beglinger. She's the independent candidates on the ballot. She's dropped out of the race. She's endorsed Michaels. But I think that this effort is designed to go after what I'm going to call low-information voters because she's not running. She's dropped off out of the race, and she's endorsed Michaels. So to vote for somebody who's dropped out, and is endorsing another candidate. Yeah, to me, if you're doing that, it strikes me as, you know, just a a complete and total wasted vote. But the Evers folks are trying to pull away. They're hoping that, you know, one or two percent or three percent of the voters who would otherwise vote for Michaels vote for Beglinger, and that allows him to sneak in with 48 percent of the vote and Michaels with, you know, 47 percent, and then she picks up the rest. I think think the Michaels-Evers race— depends in some part on on what happens in the Barnes-Johnson race, because just like in 2016, Ron Johnson outperformed Donald Trump, but Trump ended up winning Wisconsin by a narrow margin. I I think Ron Johnson is probably going to outperform Tim Michaels. If Johnson wins with 53 percent of the vote, say, like I think might happen, I think there's going to he's going to pull enough people along that it will carry Michaels. Um, But it's it's going to be close. My prediction Michaels, 50, Tony Evers, 48, and 2% to Joan Beglinger. So, but this is, you know, I've been looking at all these races nationally, and this is, I think, one of the two or three very, very toughest races to call. The the bigger, if, if Johnson loses somehow, I think that's going to be a very, very bad news for Tim Michaels. If Johnson wins, the larger the margin, the better the news is for Tim Michaels. But my, my prediction, got to make it. That's the deal. It's 50-48 with Joan Beglinger picking up another 2%, which would have otherwise gone to Michaels. All right. So the control of the Senate. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think, I think at the end of the day— It's going to be 52 Republicans, 48 Democrats, but I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if it goes as high as 54-46. I think Herschel Walker wins in Georgia. I think um, Laxalt wins in Nevada. Those would be Republican pickups. And my upset, I think the Republican wins in New Hampshire. And it's another one of these deals where 
the the race the race between the existing the current u s senator in New Hampshire and her challenger is just it it 's like dead even but the governor 's race the Republican governor is ahead by ten or twelve points i 'm just not sure how much ticket splitting there 's going to be so my I think those are going to be three Republican pickups. The race in Pennsylvania, I have no idea I, I just so that's that's a that's a Republican seat, and you've got the guy who had the stroke, Fetterman, and you've got Dr. Oz who's running. The polls are all over on that one. I'm not sure Oz pulls it out. If Oz pulls it out, then I think it goes up to like 54-46. I'm not predicting him to do that, so then it would be 52-48. I think uh, Wisconsin is a hold. I think Vance wins in Ohio. That's a hold. Uh, two of the other races to watch is, of course, you know what's going on in, in Arizona where you have the challenger, the Republican challenger, pretty much dead even. Um, that, that could go either way. And one of the surprises in Washington State, where Patty Murray, who's been there forever, um, her challenger, a woman named Tiffany Smiley, is within a couple points. Those could be surprise pickups if there really is a Republican wave, but I'm not counting on that. So my best guess is um, at the end of the day, they pick up two seats and it's 52-48. Okay, you are on there. I'm, I'm on record. So, you know, that's going to be out there. So over the course of the next couple of years, when I make my pundit predictions, you can either call up and say, Jeff, you were right. You got it. Or see, you were absolutely wrong. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. But that's what I think is going to happen. Johnson's going to win. The Evers race, Evers-Michaels race is a toss up. But I think it's more likely than not that Michaels pulls out a very, very close race. And this could very well be another one of those, just like 2018, where you go to bed with, um, just like with Walker and Evers, Walker's has, has a big lead, and then the ballots from Milwaukee, the city of, start to kind of come in, and it, it switches the race. I, I think this is going to be another one where you're not going to know the margin probably till early the next morning, but um, I, I think we are going to know the margin. So I am on record. Those are my predictions. 52-48, a Republican Senate, a Johnson win, a Michaels win, but it's very, very close. We will see how it all turns out. When we come back, one of the reasons why it may be a late night and why we could have avoided this, I will explain. We will discuss. Vice President Kamala Harris will be on W will be on 101.7 The Truth with Sherman Hughes tomorrow at 10 a.m. here directly from Washington on what will be one of the most memorable election days in the state of Wisconsin. Kamala Harris live on The Truth with Sherman Hughes at 10 a.m. Tuesday. That would be tomorrow once again on 101.7 The Truth, our sister station. All right. One of the reasons that it may be a late night and that you might go to bed thinking that, okay, for example, Tim Michaels, you know, is going to be the next governor. And then you wake up and you find that Tony Evers is actually the governor is because the ballots will, there will in all likelihood be a delay in reporting results from Milwaukee. One of the reasons behind this is that under state law, all the early voting that has taken place, whether you're, you've mailed in your absentee ballot or whether, like my wife and I, you've gone and you've, um, you know, you voted early absentee, you know, you've gone there in person. State law says that those ballots cannot be opened until the polls open on Election Day. So what happens is you have this 
you know, it never used to be a big deal because, you know, up until a couple elections ago, there weren't an enormous number of, of absentee ballots that came in, either in person, you know, early absentee in person or by mail. Well, that, that's that's changed over the last several years. And now we know that, what, 40, 45, maybe 50 percent of the people now vote either by mail or vote early. So what happens is you've got the regular crush of people that are coming to the polls and, you know, the poll workers are working with them and they're giving them their ballots and they're making sure that those get fed into the machines. And they're also tasked with opening all these absentee ballots and feeding them into the machines. And what happens is, especially when there's a large number of them, like in the city of Milwaukee, they just they don't get processed in what I'm going to describe as a timely fashion because there's not enough poll workers to, to do this. Now, there was a chance to change state law and allow these early absentee ballots to be at least opened and fed into machines as they came in, you know, under appropriate supervision. So you relieve the pressure on the clerks on Election Day. So when the ballots come in, and again, you, you set up whatever measures you want, as they do in many states, you just feed them in. You don't hit the button, you don't total it, but you've already— you've taken the the mechanical process of putting these ballots in the machine so they're ready to be counted on Election Day as opposed to having to be opened and fed in. If we would have done that, you would not have all of a sudden, you know, there's another 100,000 ballots out in in the city of Milwaukee or 80,000 or whatever, and we have to wait till they get fed in to be counted. Now, the legislature made the decision not to allow that to happen despite the fact that you had clerks of court all across the state, Republican counties, Democrat counties, Republican cities, Democrat cities, who by and large said, let us do this. Let's let's get this administrative stuff out of the way. Let's release and make our burden a little bit easier on Election Day. And let us, uh, again, let us start the process of submitting these various ballots, not counting them, mind you, but submitting them into the machines or whatever. Let us do it in advance so when Election Day rolls around, then we can promptly get the results of these. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. As somebody who really does believe it's important to have integrity in our elections and who does believe that this, what I'm call, we'll call late reporting, but it's late reporting that is, of course, caused by the, the state law that doesn't allow the, these ballots to be processed in what I'm going to argue is a timely fashion. It's one of the things that I, contribu- I think contributes to, well, gee, isn't this this is really weird. You know, all of a sudden, you know, my guy or my gal is ahead by tens of thousands of votes, and then Milwaukee comes in. And is this like Lyndon Johnson in Texas, you know, where they do want to find out how many votes your side needs to win, and they mysteriously find them? That doesn't—that's not the case. I don't believe that's the case at all. But it contributes to that when you, you have all these uncounted ballots that were cast early. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. I think we've missed an incredible opportunity to get election results in a timely fashion. And in my opinion, we've missed it for no good reason. What do you think? Okay, so so here's here's the process with absentee ballots. And and what happens is there's many municipalities across the, the state that, that use this process, um, and a number in, in Milwaukee County, for example, including the city of Milwaukee, absentee ballots all go to a central location. And, you know, this year, 
um, there's probably across the state, there's going to be north of 600,000 absentee ballots. All right. So Election Day rolls around. They come in. Some some of them go into like regular polling places, but others go into these central counting things. And, and then what happens is the election workers, according to this is what they have to do. They, they get the ballot. They have to verify the information on the ballot certificate envelope, the outside of it. They've got to read the voter's name and address out loud at the poll book. They have to assign the voter a number before opening the envelope and feeding the ballot into the tabulator. You know, just like the process that you go through, it's a little bit time-consuming when you show up to vote in person. And then what happens is, you know, you've got to flatten this out. You've got to put it through the machine. You're talking about tens of thousands of ballots. It is a time-consuming process. And my point has been all along that if you allow the clerks to do this process, you know, as the ballots are coming in or start a week beforehand or, or whatever, and, and you know, put in whatever safeguards you want. I mean, this isn't rocket science. You know, you could, you could again, you know, have poll observers that are, you know, sitting back like they do uh, for the in-person thing, and you have—so make it transparent, but allow the, these poll workers, you know, allow the election officials to start feeding the ballots in. And again, I'm not saying you push the button and you total them. I'm not saying you, you know, um, say, okay, this is how many votes have, you know, come in for Michaels or how many from Evers. It has just never made any sense to me that you delay this whole thing to Election Day. Now, again, maybe 10 years ago or 20 years ago when there weren't that many absentee ballots, it wasn't that big a deal because it didn't take that much time. But my goodness, if you're looking at more than 600,000, there will be more than 600,000 of these ballots, and you've got to go through this process with every one of them, you can understand— why it is going to take so very long. And you can understand why what's going to happen, for example, in Milwaukee this year, like it's happened in the past, is you will get the numbers from the live in-person voting. That will come in undoubtedly first, but then it's going to take longer to count the ones from these central counting numbers, so you're going to see that come in later on. So again, it is entirely possible in a very close race that you, you go to bed at night saying, oh, well, Tim Michaels is ahead by 25,000 votes, and then, but there's still 80,000 outstanding in Milwaukee County, and they break 75, 25 for, for Evers, and you get a different result that's there. This was avoidable. It was avoidable. I think there were concerns about, well, you know, maybe it's some potential for fraud. I, I just, to, to me, I, I think sometimes this fraud claim gets overused. I think it is much more important if we're going to try to build up confidence in the election system to get the results in as soon as possible instead of having these giant ballot dumps um, where all of a sudden all these votes end up getting reported. But that's that's not the fault of the election clerks. That's the fault of the statute, which doesn't give them, I think, which 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 is archaic in that it makes them process the ballots um, well into the night, where we could completely avoid this by, again, allowing them to go through this process as they come in or start the week before the election or, or whatever of opening the ballots, going through this process, verifying them, and then starting to submit them. Other states do this. This isn't, and it shouldn't be rocket science, but in Wisconsin, we haven't caught up with that yet. Lots of stuff coming up on the program today, including it's the elephant in the room. Uh, no pun intended. I'll explain in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. During the break, a couple people were saying, well, Jeff, the pro- one problem is if you start counting the ballots as they come in, these absentee ballots, which would allow us to have results in a timely fashion on election night instead of having these, these huge ballot dumps where all of a sudden these votes show up. And, and it's just it's the process. It, this Whatever you think about our elections being stolen or fraud, it's not that. It's that we archaically don't allow all these absentee ballots that have come in over the course of the last couple of weeks to be counted in a timely fashion. And, and that's that's a problem. And so it, it's why you go to bed at night thinking one candidate is one, and you woke up the next day thinking the other candidate is one. And you think this must be because of fraud. And, and the truth is it's it's not. One of the arguments, I guess, is that, well, if you did this— and you allowed the ballots to be counted as they arrived, that wouldn't give the opportunity for somebody to spoil their ballot. In other words, to change their vote. Now, I guess that's true, but I think already there's all sorts of indications that that spoiling the ballots, changing the vote is not authorized by the law anyways. But I don't think it should be. I mean, that's at the same time you would change the law to say that, okay, we're going to allow ballots to be counted. We're going to set up whatever security procedures we need to do to make sure that they're going to be opened, verified, put into the, the machine which is different than knowing in advance, you know, what the election results are. Just have them all in that machine so you can push the button and get the totals in a timely sort of fashion. You'd have to change the law to do that. And at the same time, you'd have to change the law to make it very, very clear that that, that's one of the things that comes with early voting is if you vote early, that's your vote. And you're not going to be able to go get it back and change it just like you're not able to go if you cast a vote on, on election day, you're not able to come back three hours later and say, I've changed my mind. And I, I think, actually, there's a question under state law whether it's legal to spoil your ballot, to go back and re-vote anyways. But to me, it's it's pretty easy. We're going to let people count. We're going to count the votes as they come in, in the discretion of the different local clerks, with appropriate safeguards that I'm sure the legislature could figure out how to set up, but also no spoiled ballots. Once you vote, that's your vote. And if you change your mind from the time you went in if you did like my wife and I did, early voted on in person on the first day it was opened up, and we changed our mind, and three days later wanted to go back in and vote for somebody else. Too bad, so sad. That's, you know, one of the reasons I guess you could argue about voting early, but that's how I would handle it. I, I did send out one more tweet, and by the way, if you follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 It's kind of our informal contest. Um, my question to you is, it's your chance to play amateur pundit. We're going to go back and look at some of the tweets and things, and predictions as to what you think percentage-wise is going to happen in the Senate race in Wisconsin, the governor's race in Wisconsin, and then kind of our other question is, which party is going to control the U.S. Senate? Right now it's 50-50, so you can participate there. Just um, I did post something else, though, because it, it was the, the lead-off to Alex's news, and I, I wanted to offer a comment on this because I think whether you're a conservative, liberal, Republican, or Democrat— You have to be careful about going too far down the election fraud rabbit hole. Uh, The the reality is that even though there are potential ways that the system can be gamed, there's really – there's no evidence out there of widespread fraud. There there just isn't. There's the potent – you could say, well, theoretically, this could happen and that could happen, but there's no evidence of – you know, people voting eight times or, or things like that. There is evidence of, I think, what I would call, you know, 
choices that have been made over the years, which may be in violation of the law. But that's different, you know, saying, okay, you know, we we didn't make this person jump through this hoop and that hoop. But if we had, they would have been able to legally cast a ballot anyways. And this thing with these military ballots, while it is an issue, I, I think you have to be careful about, again, going too far down this particular rabbit hole. Now, we all know the story. We talked about this last week. For in under Wisconsin law, for military ballots, there is a loophole that is large enough that you can drive a semi through. You know, normally, if you want to um, vote, you've got to, sh- and this applies whether you're voting in person or whether you're voting, you know, by mail. You, you have to provide a photo identification or some other sort of verification that you are who you are. You have to provide your address, etc., and you know th- that verifies that you are a real person. There is a loophole in state law which says if you are in the military, you do not have to provide a photo identification. You don't have to even be registered. You can just go to this website, you can request a ballot, and they will send you the ballot. The purpose behind this is to make it easy for people in the military to vote. Right, And that, that's a noble cause. So we all know what happened last week. I, I'm still a little bit skeptical of the motives, but you have this deputy elections clerk for the city of Milwaukee, of all places, who commits what appears to be election fraud by applying for military ballots under the names of three non-existent people. She apparently goes to the website, she requests these ballots, makes up names, and these ballots are then sent to the um, chairwoman of the Republican Assembly Elections Commission, who's been one of these outspoken um, voter fraud, need to reform sort of advocates. So uh, Janelle Branchin gets these ballots addressed of Holly Golightly or whatever, one from South Milwaukee, one from Shorewood. I forget where the other one came from, but she gets these ballots. And then she goes public and says, look, these ballots, I don't know where these things came from, but they were sent to my house. So theoretically, if I were interested in committing election fraud, I could fill them out, I could submit them, and it's quite likely that nobody would, would, would detect this in advance or maybe after the fact. Now, she didn't submit them because she, you know, wasn't going to do that. The elections clerk, who has since been fired, who did this, said, well, I did it to expose where the real flaw in the system was. I don't know if I believe that or not. If you wanted to be cynical, you could say that this election clerk was tired of being accused of fraud and all these problems, had these ballots sent to the Republican representative, hoping that she would fill them out and vote for them and then say, hey, this lady's committed a crime. I don't know what her motivation was, but it clearly exposes a flaw in the system. And we talked about this last week. I I don't think it's that hard. This is, if you're requesting a military ballot, I think state law should be changed to say that you've got to use your military ID. Okay, that's, you know, that you've if you're in the military, you've got an ID number, um, whether it should be accompanied by having to, you know, fax in or, again, scan in your military ID, your photo ID. I, I guess I don't know enough about the mechanics to do that, but this isn't rocket science. You know, it, it's it, you should, all you need is at least that to then at least be able to go back and verify whether there was a real person that did this. So I, I think state law needs to be changed. But the story now is there's this lawsuit that's been filed asking that because there is the possibility that this could happen, that all military ballots not be counted and that they be instead sequestered 
um, and held separately in an effort to verify that all the military ballots, and you're, you're talking about a few thousand, correspond with people who are actually in, in the military. And I guess my response to that would be, that is unnecessary at this point. Um, that's like saying, I don't think we should count any ballots because it's possible that, gee, Jeff Wagner used to live in, in Whitefish Bay and may very well still be on the polls in Whitefish Bay. So um, he could go and he could vote in Whitefish Bay and then he could go and he could vote, you know, where he's currently registered. So we shouldn't count. We shouldn't count any votes because there's a possibility that somebody somewhere might be voting twice or mo- might be voting three times. I, you, you can't do that, or at least I don't think you should do that. The possibility in theory, that the system can be gamed is a concern, and it's definitely something I think the legislature needs to look at, and it might be something that, you know, after the fact, you look at to determine whether this is something where there's widespread fraud, and there are people requesting fake military ballots, and then somebody else is filing them, in which case that would be a felony. Okay, that, that's one thing, and it might be that, like I said earlier, you need to change the law to maybe make this more difficult to happen. And again, I don't think it's rocket science to change the law to do that. But to take that next step and say, because it is theoretically possible to game the system, as has been outlined, we're not going to count any of these ballots till we, we're going to sequester them, and then we're going to look one by one to determine they're valid. I don't think there's a basis for that unless you can demonstrate that in the past this has been a source of widespread fraud. So I think, again, sometimes we need to be careful when, you know, we throw around the whole concept of election fraud, because I I basically believe that our elections are are honest. I believe the results are, in fact, correct. And just because there are theoretically ways that you can game the system doesn't mean you stop everything. It's sort of like saying, okay, the bank has decided they're not going to cash any of your checks, because there is the possibility that somebody could forge your name on on a check. There's the possibility that somebody could have stolen your checkbook out of your purse, taken out a couple checks, and and writing checks on your account. So we're not going to cash any of your checks, even though we don't have any indication or evidence that that's what happened in your case. So this is a it's clearly a flaw in the system. It's clearly a loophole that needs to be closed. But as far as like saying we're going to suspend the counting, we're not going to count military ballots, we're going to sequester all these things, my, my answer would be no. I don't even know if it's possible to do that because I, I don't know, even know if when the military ballots come in, aren't they just put with all the other absentee ballots? So now we're going to have to sort out all these military ballots as well and take them out of the absentee ballots that have already been received. Um, you, you, want, you want to wait until next Tuesday to get results? I don't think so. So I, I appreciate what this lawsuit is trying to do. It is a loophole, but to... I would be surprised if a judge issues an injunction stopping the counting on this, absent evidence that this is happening on a widespread basis, nor do I think the judge should issue the injunction. Go out, vote, let's see how this election turns out, and then let's go back after the fact and say, what can we do better? That's not unreasonable, is it? Veterans Day honors the incredible sacrifices made by our brave men and women who served in the United States military. This week, we recognize all Americans who fought for us and continue to fight for our great country. From WTMJ. 
from the station and from me personally. We thank you for your service. Happy Veterans Week presented by Tabak Laws Veteran Benefit Center. And again, a special thank you to the hundreds of people that came out for, this is the 10th year we did Operation Honor, the, the city of Waukesha and Mayor Sean Riley and their, their Parks and Rec community. They, they do a wonderful thing. And it was, it was Saturday and we had hundreds of people there and military band, Tom Buttrey from, Tom, um, uh, from the Dan Buttrey from the uh, War Memorial Center was the keynote speaker. I was the MC, and it was just again, it was a moving tribute to veterans. They had a lunch afterwards. It was very, very nice, and appreciate all the people that came out. And again, for people who served in the military, as I said during my remarks on Saturday, um, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for your service. Um, let's see, I. Jeff, I think one of my texters says, you think that having a quick election result is more reasonable than one verified with integrity. And and this has to do with the lawsuit saying, well, let's separate all the military ballots because it's possible that somebody somewhere could have requested a ballot for a non-existent person. And, And my answer is that I think the possibility of widespread fraud with military ballots is so remote that it's not worth the delay because you, you could always go and find this this loophole. If if somebody and again I, I gave the example, if if I wanted to vote, you know, twice, go to where I used to live, I'm sure I'm probably still on the rolls there, you know, vote there, go to where I live now, vote there. But we don't say, well, we're gonna hold up all we're not gonna count any votes on the chance that somebody could be voting twice. What we do is we say, okay, we're going to go back, you know, and it, unfortunately it's after the fact. You can't find the ballots, but we're going to prosecute people if, if they've done it. There is, a, the, is there the possibility of fraud through this? Yes, there is the possibility. Is there any evidence that this has happened on any sort of widespread basis in the past? And as far as I know, the answer to that is no. So the mere possibility that something could happen to me is not a basis for holding up election results or not counting ballots absent any other indication that there is something wrong with them. It is, in my opinion, a justification for taking a hard look at the law and saying, okay, moving forward, we need to close this loophole. I admit I am frustrated that over the last two years, and this is, I I lay a lot of this on the doorstep of Tony Evers, who has been unwilling Look, the Republicans passed a lot of legislation, which I think would have led to some degree, would have removed some of the questions about, you know, voting procedures and what's allowed under the law. It would have cleared up a lot of stuff. And I'm not saying everything was a good idea, but Evers voted, vetoed everything, just absolutely everything, which shows that he really had no interest in addressing this particular issue. And it is unfortunate that, you know, two years after everything that happened in in 2020, you know, we're we're still, you know, raising these questions of, can you have something like democracy in the park? It's just those sort of things. And, you know, can you have drop boxes? It shouldn't have necessarily been something that had to be decided by the court. It should have been something that was decided by the legislature and signed off on the governor. And the fact that we got no agreement is very, very disappointing. But having said that, would I immediately say we're not going to count military ballots until we can go through and, and verify that every one came from a person that's actually in the military, absent a requirement in state law that you do that? And, and the answer to that is, is no. Do we need to change the law moving forward? Absolutely. 
Well, and let me just also make this issue clear, because, look, I understand everybody's crazy when it comes to elections and things like that. So I get a text from somebody saying, I, I think it's ironic that the people filing this lawsuit don't want to count votes made by the people who fight for our freedom to vote. And, and, and my response was, well, well, wait a second. That, that's not fair, and it's not true either. It's not that the people filing the lawsuit to try to sequester the military votes, it's not that they don't want to count the ballots. It's that they don't want to count the ballots until they have verified that they are actually legitimate ballots that are being submitted by people in the military. There, there is a big difference. My only point is I don't think that there's enough, as long as this is in compliance with state law and absent any evidence that you have all these these ballots, the possibility that they could be fraudulent without any showing that they are, I don't think that's a basis to delay it. But nobody's saying don't count them. They're saying, hey, we actually need to preserve and protect the right of the people in the military, because, you know, how would you feel if you're in the military and you find out that somebody has requested a ballot in your name and voted for you when when you that that wasn't you or somebody has decided to game the system and make up people and claim that they're in the military? So in fairness, it's not that the people who are pushing this lawsuit don't want to count the ballots. It's that they say they don't want to count them unless they know that they are authentic. It's That's a big difference. I just don't think there's a basis for a, an injunction at this point in time. Jeff, what's your prediction about the Powerball tonight? Will somebody win it or is it a rollover? Don't know, although I have done something that I'm not sure I have ever done before. I have now purchased Powerball tickets two days in a row. I, I admit, was at a uh, was filling up with gas on Saturday, and we, we talked about this on Friday, and I know a number of you heard it because I heard about this in all of these locations the weekend. Yeah, we heard you talking about it. We went about a, bought a Powerball. So bought the Powerball ticket. Didn't have the Powerball. One of mine, I spent 20 bucks, 10 tickets. One in 292 million is your chance. And to give you perspective, there's like 331 million people in the United States. So that that tells you what the odds are. But... If you just want to get those five numbers without the Powerball that pays a million, well, that's only like one in 11 million. So, you know, you've got that there. But um, so I bought, I, I spent 20 bucks. Just again, this might as well have just lit it on fire. Uh, I got no Powerballs and I had two numbers on one of the things, but that doesn't pay anything. But this morning, because my wife likes to dream big and I want to make my wife happy, I was driving into work, pulled in at the same place I bombed out last Saturday, bought, spent $20 more, which might be God's way of telling me that I have too much money, but spent money, so I've got, I've, I've got the Powerball things. And um, if you want to know how I did, well, you can tune in tomorrow, and the big indicator is going to be, am I going to be here or not? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'd, I'd be here regardless. Not sure how much longer I'd be here if I won that $1.6 billion or whatever. But yes, Powerball is tonight. I have no idea whether it will roll over or not, but I don't know. Um, I'm there. And all I ask is that if you, you are one of the listeners of the program and you invest and you win, come on down and, and take Mr. Wagner to lunch on time, on occasion. Hey, I really... Um, this is we've just hit a milestone, I believe. The Milwaukee Police Department keeps track of crime statistics, and I refer to this a lot. Um, the last year all-time record for homicides 
the entire year in the city of Milwaukee. This isn't Milwaukee. This is the city of Milwaukee. 193 homicides. That is an unthinkable amount. I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office when we hit 100 homicides, and and that was mind-boggling, and that was because of gang violence over crack cocaine and stuff like this. We are now at last year, 193 for the entire year. This year, according to the Milwaukee Police Department statistics, and these are lagging indicators because they're they're always a day or two behind. Um, According to their chart... 191 homicides. However, I'm looking at the report on Fox News. Milwaukee Sunday shootings leave two dead, three wounded. 35-year-old Milwaukee man dead following a shooting near 21st and Keefe on Sunday, November 6th. Happened about 1230 a.m. Let's see. 76th and Ruby. A 40-year-old Milwaukee man is dead following a shooting near 76th and Ruby. Police say the shooting was around 3 a.m. I do not believe that those two homicides are included in this 191. Um, Also, Milwaukee police are investigating a shooting that occurred Sunday night um, near North and Holton, happened around 10.05 p.m. Police say the victim and an 18-year-old man was shot in the back of the head. He is being treated for life-threatening injuries, so you don't know how that's going to turn out. But by my calculation, 193 all-time record As of all of last year, here we are, essentially the first week of November, and I I think we've already hit the number from last year. I think we've we've hit that number, and we we may well have exceeded that. So, you know, we're unfortunately on a pace to go way over 200 homicides, which is just absolutely unthinkable. And the frustrating thing is nobody really seems to have an idea— as to, to how to stop the, this violence. You know, people are, and my answer is, well, we, we need to stop, we need to start, you know, locking people up who've demonstrated a proclivity for violence, um, not giving them second and third and fourth chances because invariably they will end up killing people. Here's a follow-up to a story we talked about last week, and if it's possible, if it's possible to get worse than the story already was, it, it's worse. You will remember the story a um, couple weeks ago, October 21st, out in Hartford, Heartland, that is, where you had the, it was originally talked about as a murder-suicide. You had the four children and the mother who were killed, and they, they thought it was the, the father that, that did this. Um, four children 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, and two three-year-old boys, remember that? And then the father and mother were dead, and the the way it was reported was a a murder-suicide, and the initial thoughts was it was the father that killed the kids and killed the mother. Well, okay, here's the follow-up to this, and you go, my God, how could this be worse? The Waukesha County Medical Examiners has determined that the mother involved in the murder-suicide that left six dead, including four children, in the village of Heartland also had a self-inflicted gunshot wound. The incident was initially reported that six people were killed at a fire in the apartment complex, right, because then they set the, the, the building on fire after that. After days of multiple local and statewide departments investigating the incident, it was determined that all victims suffered gunshot wounds as part of a murder-suicide. Um, the father's death was determined to be a suicide after determining his gunshot wound was self-inflicted. An ignitable liquid and multiple firearms also were found in the unit where the family resided. Uh, The Heartland Police has now announced that they believe that Jessica, that's the mother, McKissick's gunshot wound was self-inflicted as well. 
So what it sounds like happened is that the parents killed the kids, um, and then, I mean, I don't know who it was that, that killed the kids, but the parents both killed the kids, and it sounds like then they lit the place on fire, and then they killed themselves, which is just, I mean, see, what, I, what I've always said about murder-suicides, and I don't mean to be flip about this, if you get to the point that you are going to take your own life, and that's that's a very, very bad place to be, and, you know, hopefully people can get, you know, the treatment and the help they need, but it's just, for God's sake, do the suicide before you do the murder. Why why you feel that you're going to kill, that the need to kill your four children and then kill yourself, and in this case, it was the husband and wife that apparently, you know, went together. If these reports are together, it's just, it, it's just, I mean, the kids are dead, and it's an awful story regardless, but for some reason, I think it's made even more awful that the fact that you have the parents who apparently were in on this together, and they both made the decision to take their own lives after one or both of them killed the kids and then lit the building on fire. Just, just a terrible story. Okay, when we come back, he's back. Hey, coming up in about 15 minutes, I want to talk about the potential return of... The man who seems like he's never gone away, Donald Trump. But there are very many indications that uh, as soon as this evening, even before the midterms, Donald Trump may announce that he is running for president in 2024. We're going to discuss what you think about that. But I want to make sure we have enough time to get into it. So we're going to talk about that right after the top of the hour news. Um, I I know. Look, I, I don't care whether you're a political junkie or not. Even if you are the most devout political junkie, you are probably tired of all the advertising that's gone on. You know, I mean, I was just, I was, I was having breakfast this morning, and whatever channel we had on, I, I swear there were, I counted six consecutive ads, uh, and it, it does, it doesn't matter whether they were, you know, anti Michaels or you know, pro Evers or vice versa, or whatever. It was like one after another, and it was just. All across the spectrum, this person is terrible, this person is terrible, and some of the negative ads are worse than others. But it's just kind of like, I think at some point in time, as I've been saying before, the, the clutter, it's just everybody just wants them to stop now. It's like, okay, th- this is this is done. The only people that don't want them to stop are the TV stations and the radio stations who make a whole bunch of money from these ads that are run there. But But after tomorrow, they will at least in most of the country, they will they will go away, at least for the time being. There's some races, like in Georgia, where you've got the contested Senate seat um, involving Herschel Walker and Ralph Warnock, the Democratic incumbent. If one of those two doesn't get 50 percent, then there's a runoff. So people in Georgia, they're going to have another month of the, these adver- ads. But in Wisconsin, I think it's quite likely that, you know, after the voting is done, we're not going to be hearing any more political ads until, well, next spring when things gear up for the state Supreme Court election. So what are they going to be replaced by? I was, uh, you know, what, what, when you turn on TV or when you listen to the radio and, and you're hearing these ads and, and th- this hole that has been filled by the political ads, what's going, to, what's going to involve that? And I have a prediction. I think, you know, the next ads that you're just going to hear a ton of are going to be these Medicare Advantage ads 
because there's really big money in Medicare or Medicare Advantage. And I, I wanted to just take a minute because this is a really big decision. And I wanted to channel my inner Clark Howard. And if those of you who are a longtime listener to the station know that Clark Howard, you know, syndicated um, consumer advice reporter who uh, ended his show about a year or so ago. But this, I, I think, and I've, I've actually been kind of like dealing with this just on the periphery. The decision, if you want to talk about complicated things, if you think the decision to go with like Social Security is complicated or the decision, you know, how am I going to invest money in my 401k or whatever is complicated, the decision between Medicare and Medicare Advantage and all these things, that's, that is really baffling. And I understand that people are just besieged with, with these ads. You've got Tom Selleck saying, go to this Medicare Advantage plan. You've got Joe Namus saying, go do this one. And, and I, I think... It's really, really complicated. Now, I don't advocate a particular one, but I, what I do advocate, and if you take nothing away from this program other than what I started the show with my, as somebody who put $100 on the Packers to win the NFC, lesson number one is gambling is bad. <laughs> but, but number two is when it comes to making these decisions about Medicare or Medicare Advantage or whatever, you really have to find someone you trust who knows the system to walk you through it, because what's right for me isn't necessarily right for you, and what's right for your friend isn't necessarily right for you. And these decisions that you make can have long-ranging consequences. So let's just break this down you know, really, really quickly in my effort to kind of channel my inner Clark Howard, like I say. All right, traditionally, there is Medicare, and about 50% of the people still go with Medicare. Medicare is sponsored through the government. Medicare, as a general rule, covers 80% of your expenses um, after qualified expenses after, you know, you, you meet whatever your deductible is. People who get Medicare oftentimes, almost always, will get a, a sub will get a second policy, a Medigap policy, and there's a number of companies that offer them that make up that difference, the difference between the 80% that Medicare covers and that extra 20%. So you, you have that extra of, of having to have that supplemental insurance. Then people who are in traditional Medicare, you you know, if you want to get dental insurance or vision insurance, that is that is extra. The big advantage to Medicare is that you you have your own choice. You can go to any doctor you want who accepts Medicare. So if you're diagnosed with a horrendous, you get diagnosed with cancer, and you know that the people who treat that best are at the Mayo Clinic, you know, in Minnesota. You you can as long as you find a doctor that takes that takes Medicare, and almost all do. You you can go and get treated at the medic at the Mayo Clinic. All right, that's and it's the doctors that make the call as to what your treatment is. Medicare Advantage is, it's not run by the government. It's run by these various insurance companies. And what happens with Medicare Advantage is your, your Medicare premium, instead of going to the government, it goes to these insurance companies, and they offer you the, the services. Generally speaking, you don't need a supplemental policy, okay, because everything is covered under the Medicare Advantage program. However, there are co-pays and things like that. There are, um, depending on the different policy, there's, you know, out-of-pocket limits might be higher than traditional Medicare, maybe. And what happens is it's a form of, 
In other words, what I'm going to describe is managed care. So you're not going to have your choice of any doctor that you go to. You're going to have to be in a particular network. So if you want to go to the Mayo Clinic, for example, and that's not in your network, it's it's not going to be covered. Now, there's variations about this, and that's why you have to go in and look at this. The other thing that happens with Medicare Advantage plans is, unlike Medicare, where your doctor says this is what you need, and you know Medicare covers it, there's an insurance company that's involved. So it's partly managed care. If the insurance company says, we don't care what the doctor says, we think you know, you've had a week of rehab, you don't need two weeks, so we're only going to cover a week. In that case, you either have to pay for that second week yourself or, or not get it. So there's, there's all sorts of pluses and minuses to these different programs. And I'm not going to sit on the radio and tell you which one is best for you, but you really have to sit down with somebody you trust and who knows these systems and can walk you through it and say, okay, this is how much Let's look at this. Do you need prescription drugs? Let's look at this. How important is this? How important is that? These are the different cost situations. What is your medical history? Really walk these through because it's also, it's an important decision because once you sign up for Medicare Advantage, it's difficult and it's expensive to go back over to regular Medicare. Uh, If you're on Medicare and you want to go to Medicare Advantage, it's a little bit easier. But again, I'm not going to try to go through all the nuances, and I know what I'm talking about. sounds a little bit complicated. Well, okay, if—I would just—I'm always—I'm kind of blown away by how complicated this is. And that's why before you make this decision or before you decide to switch, find an advisor that you like, go to them, let them look at your individual decision, and, and then you know review the different options because it is complicated, and you don't want to make the wrong decision. And I, I see all this advertising out there for these different plans or do that or do whatever, and, and it's all well and good, but I do wonder sometimes whether people are, are seeing the advertising and making a decision without taking that next step and saying, okay, what, what is really best for me? What is important to me? Do I care? For example, that I'm going to have to, I don't know, uh, be in network as a general rule. What what are my copays going to be? What are these different costs? All I'm saying is, whichever route you go, I don't know that there's a there's there's one way or the other. And like I say, what's wrong, what's right for you, might not be right for me. But you got to find somebody you trust to make these decisions. And I only bring this up because we're going to be hearing a lot of advertising. Once the political ads go away, I think it's going to be replaced by a lot of Medicare or Medicare Advantage ads or, or this supplemental Medigap thing or that Medigap thing. Just find somebody you know who knows a lot about this. Find somebody you trust. Sit down. Let them walk through this with you. It's not an easy process. It should take an hour, hour and a half. Let them answer all your questions. Make an intelligent decision so you don't make a mistake. And there, that's how I channel my inner Clark Howard. When we come back, he's not going away. We'll discuss. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, during the break, I took a little bit of a walk, came back, and just being, I'm being swamped with texts about like Medicare Advantage versus Medicare. And I, I just... I don't, I don't take a position on what's right. I just know that you're going to be, if you've already probably been bombarded. If you're in a certain age range, you've been bombarded with, with mailings and you hear the ads on radio and you hear the ads on television. And 
oh, I, I was kind of curious about this, so I have somebody who's a friend who does this. And I had a meeting a couple of weeks ago, and it's, it's, it's not applicable to us. I get my health insurance through Good Karma and things like that. But it, it was, I, I like to think, I'm, and you might disagree with this, but I think I'm as smart as the average bear. And I'd actually done a little bit of research, so I had an idea. Our meeting was an hour and a half just, just to go through all this. And there's all these different variations, and there's permutations. And it's, you know, what's right for you depends on, again, you know, what's what your medical history is, what your prescription, how much do you take prescription drugs? You know, what what do you think, you know, what what's your health history? Of course, you never know. Um, are you, again, there's all these different variables that, that are out there. And just because something seems like it's the cheapest, it, it might not be if, you know, you have health needs or things like that. And how important is it to be able to go to any doctor you want anywhere in the country? It's, it's all these different variables. But I guess I'm just, it, it, it's incredibly complicated. I was blown away with how complicated it is. And that's the point that a number of people are texting in about how, you know, the, you, and, you, and again, it's once you do this, uh, if you, for example, like I say, you get on Medicare Advantage and then you decide, no, I want to go back to basic Medicare, it's it's not that easy. And there's costs that are associated with it that are permanent costs. So it's – all I'm saying is it's something – I don't know that just getting a mailer and saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do and checking a box – I would not advise you to do that. I'd advise you to find somebody that's, you know, that, that you trust that can give you independent advice and can really just look at your individual situation because you don't want to make you don't want to make a mistake. You don't want to do something that you come to regret a couple of years from now. So that's my point. All right. He's back. Now you can argue that he never went away, but but he's he's back. Donald Trump may as soon as this evening, in an effort to, I don't know, curry as much attention as he can, there, there are rumors that tonight um, Trump is going to be campaigning, um, I believe, in Pennsylvania. And there's, um, there are rumors that he is going to be, he will use this opportunity to announce that he is running for election. I was going to say re-election, but that's not actually the truth, that he's going to be running for, he's going to actually, I think, be in uh, Ohio, I I believe. But um, the report is that he wants to announce as soon as possible that he is going to be running for re-election. And yeah, tonight he's campaigning for um, Vance, the Republican Senate candidate in Ohio, who I believe is going to win. And Trump might use that rally, as he does a lot of times when he supposedly rallies for other candidates. He might use that as an opportunity to, I don't know, steal some of the spotlight for Republican candidates on the eve of the midterms and announce that he is running again. But all all indications are that that he is in. He was in Iowa a couple days ago. This is what he said. I will very, very, very probably run for president. I'm not sure my high school English teacher would ever, I'm not sure how you break that down. I will very, 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 three varies, very, very, very probably run for president. At a rally um, this weekend, the one in Pennsylvania, he decided to use it as an opportunity to belittle 
other Republican candidates, potential candidates. He, you know, went after Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who's going to be overwhelmingly reelected tomorrow. He was calling him as Trump likes to do. He was, you know, he, he comes up with names. He was calling him, uh, you know, desanctimonious. That was the phrase. He, you know, went after Ted Cruz again. He went after, you know, Mike Pence, his, his vice president, you know. Um, so he, you know, went after all that. And so it was very, very clear that once again, it was about Trump. And for some of us who had kind of hoped perhaps that, you know, after the one term, Donald Trump would, if not go quietly into the good night, would adopt the role of sort of like kingmaker or something like that, as opposed to being an active candidate. It does not appear that that is going to happen. It appears that Trump perhaps as soon as this evening, is going to announce that he is running again for president in 2024. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the WTMJ talk and text line. Your reaction to Trump 2024. Um, I've got a three-word reaction. I will share it with you after the break, but you can use as many words as you like. Your reaction to the fact that Trump apparently wants to come back to the White House and is ready to announce as soon as this evening. And if not this evening, certainly probably in the next day or two. 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Donald Trump has been indicating, well, his statement is very, very. I will very, very, very probably be running for president. Um, there is some speculation that he's going to announce tonight on the eve of the midterm elections at a rally that he's doing in Ohio for um, the Republican candidate advance. Um, over the weekend, he was at a rally in Pennsylvania and he spent. As much time belittling other potential Republican candidates, Ron DeSanctimonious, going after Mike Pence, going after Ted Cruz, as he did, I don't know, talking about the, the candidate that he was so, supposed to be there to campaign for. So my question is, do you think he's going to run, and what do you think about that? 855-616-1620. Let's start with John in Kenosha. Hi, John. Hello. Hi, Jeff. What do you think? I don't think he's going to announce it. Because uh, right now the RNC is paying all his legal bills, his attorney bills. They they yep. paid like two point five million in legal bills so far. And once he announces he's going to run for president, they have to stop paying his legal bills because yep. they're not allowed to support anybody like that. Right. So I don't think he's going to announce it tonight. Do you think he's going to announce it? You, you, by the way, you are exactly right. The, the minute he announces, that's when the the RNC can't pay the legal bills legally anymore. Do you think he's Do you think he's going to run? Do you think if he, if he no, doesn't? I don't think. Okay. I don't think he'll ever run. Okay, so you think, I think he's well, just teasing everybody? Okay, so that was going to be my question. You know what? Um, what do you? Why do you? Why do you do this? Is it just if you're not going to run because of? Exactly what you're talking about, just the money or whatever. Why do you why do you imply that you are? I'm very, very, very probably going to run. What's 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 the motivation if you're not going to run? I think he's just looking for donations. Yeah. 
or attention. So he can spend it the way he wants. Yeah, or attention. You know, just uh, or or attention by you. I mean, thanks for calling. No, I mean you you keep your you keep your name in the news. Is he going to? You know, will he? Won't he? All those type of things. You continue to make yourself the center of attention if you do that. Okay. Well, all right. The speculation is he might announce as soon as tonight, or maybe a, this week. That's what the speculation is. Now, I don't have any insider knowledge as to whether this happens, but. Your reaction. I'll give you my three-word one in just a moment. Mike, who's calling us from Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. What do you think? Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Um, I hope your previous caller is correct that he doesn't announce it. Um, I didn't realize that about the uh, Republican National Committee, that they would not be able to pay his legal bills anymore. Right. Uh, But I would not be happy if he does announce it. Uh, Already attacking prominent Republicans like, you know, Ron DeSantis, Ted Cruz, I mean, those guys are part of the backbone of the, of the party, and yeah. I just that's that's tactic. And he did that in 2016, attacking other Republicans. And I thought he was wrong then, and I think he's wrong now. And um, I just hope he doesn't run. That's all I can say. Do you think he could win? Wow. Um, <laughs> obviously, we've talked about it for the last two years on your show and Steve's show, and I would always say no. But it just seems like he's gaining some momentum. So. Um, I I don't know right now. I would still hope to think that Ron DeSantis will get the nomination. Oh. Um, that would be the first hurdle he'd have to overcome. Okay. Yeah, when he's over, yeah, and he's, yeah, no, no, thanks to call, Mike. And well, obviously, he knows, Trump knows DeSantis is, is a hurdle because he, he's already trying to belittle, uh, DeSantis. And of course, DeSantis, he, he's up for election. Now, he, he's going to win Florida. He's going to win Florida big. But, but, it is. I, I do admit I'm, I'm rolling my eyes and I'm thinking, OK, so so here you have DeSantis is clearly a conservative Republican. So here you have, you know, former President Trump, who he's not in Florida doing this. He did a rally in Florida where DeSantis wasn't part of. And that, that's OK. But, you know, he, he's in Pennsylvania mocking, you know, the Republican governor of Florida who's on the ballot tomorrow. I mean, it's like, really? I, all right. I'll give you my three words in just a minute. Let's talk to. Kelly and Slinger. Hi, Kelly. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. So this comes to somebody who has been a Trump supporter, but I think Trump is testing the waters. I think think he's trying to get a sense of how conservative they're going to react to this if he does it. The problem is that I think Trump's time has come and gone. DeSantis is DeSantis is a rock star. Um, He's what conservatives want. Trump's in the past, and I think that he's going to find out very quickly that that's the case. Um, DeSantis is going to take the high ground, and he's going to stay away from uh, saying anything negative about Trump. But um, I think Trump's in for rude awakening. Well, that was going to be my question. So let's say that, that let's say that he gets in, and let's say that. Um, a couple others that Nikki Haley gets in, or and, and Ron DeSantis gets in. You you think? You think the general attitude is that that, that Trump's time has passed, and you're and, and you're a Trump supporter. Yes, yeah. I I am. Yes, I I think that a lot of conservatives, you know, Trump is two years ago. Mm-hmm. We've moved on. Yeah, and you know, I'm not one of those people that that hangs on to what was. Um, I'm looking forward, and I think a lot of conservatives are, and we're saying we need somebody like DeSantis that can you know, bring this country back in line for eight years, right. not Trump, who could only have four. Right, if he could get reelected. And the, the truth if of the matter is, you know, it's, 
even for the people who might be nostalgic about the time when he was president, I, I think his his behavior in refusing to accept the election results and then, you know, January 6th and all that, I mean, that's that that's baggage. If he couldn't beat Joe Biden in 2020, I look at this and say, how can he possibly think he can win after all of that? You know, what, what has changed in 2024 other than the fact that a lot of people have become extremely disillusioned, even his supporters, with how he acted after you know, the election last in November of 2020. I just, I'm with you. I just, I, I don't see how he wins. But I, I'll be honest, I didn't see that he was going to win in 2016 either. So, you know, that I, I'll be upfront about it. But I don't see how he wins in 2024. No, I, I don't think he can. And I think that once he starts going after DeSantis, um, right. he's, like I said before, he's in for rude awakening because conservatives love him and they see him as the future of the party. Yeah, no, th- thanks for calling. That's that's it. Okay, so my three words, Jeff, you said you had three words. Donald Trump says he's going to run for president again. Three words. Give me strength. I, I mean, I, I just, for, first of all, and I've said this with regard to Biden. First of all, okay, if Biden runs for reelection, he would be, and wins, he'd be, in which he's, he's, I don't know if he's going to run or not. He's not going to get reelected, with the possible exception of, if, unless Trump is the Republican nominee. Biden would be 82. Trump, I believe, would be 78. Can't we find, can't we find some young whippersnapper, like in their 60s, to run, for, for goodness sake, instead of, you know, you know, and and I think I think Kelly raises an interesting point with somebody like Ron DeSantis, who is embodies a, a lot of the populist concepts of somebody like Donald Trump, but doesn't have all the baggage and, and doesn't have the the character flaws and and all that. And I I think you know while some people might be nostalgic for Donald Trump, I think a lot of people are flat out you know ready to you know move on. And I think there's that. Um, There's no question. Jeff, sorry, but broadcasters at your station are not smart enough to understand Trump. I understand Trump perfectly. I get Donald Trump. I understand this. And I understand what it was in 2016 that enabled him to get to the presidency, in part because he was running against Hillary Clinton, who was an incredibly flawed candidate. But you think Trump's not incredibly flawed? Trump couldn't beat Biden in 2016, and that was before January 6th. That was before all the you know whining and complaining about the election. No, I, I think— Timing is everything in politics, and I firmly believe that Donald Trump's time has passed. Um, Jeff, I'm a Trump supporter. He had his chance in 2020 to get reelected. He already had the job. He just had to keep it. He couldn't keep his mouth shut. I'm all in on Ron DeSantis. He's the real deal, and you cannot rattle him. Jeff, I think DeSantis is very well-spoken. Um, Jeff, I think many of your callers are wishful thinkers. Trump will be the next Republican candidate for president. I don't believe that's good for anyone. Jeff, Trump can't beat Biden. And that's he couldn't beat him before. As a Republican, that's good. DeSantis will beat Biden. Jeff, if it's not going to be Trump, who? Well, I think Ron DeSantis is a choice. I, I very much like um Tim Scott. I, I'd like Nikki Haley. I can give you a whole bunch of other people. Jeff, he cannot win. I think he's way too divisive. Um, Jeff, Donald Trump needs to feed his enormous ego. He will definitely run, but likely won't announce anytime soon due to his legal situation. Jeff, no way Trump ever wins again. And, and by the way, my audience, it's I know the demographics. It's, it is a conservative-leaning audience, but I, I have 
lots of listeners to the left. Um, and th- this is, I'm getting input from conservatives. Jeff, no way Trump ever wins again. He needs to step aside and let someone else rise to the top. His mouth is forever going to get him in trouble and will cause him to lose. Jeff, I think he might want to run, and he may announce he's going to run, but I don't think he is anywhere close to being electable. Um, furthermore, we don't know what the Department of Justice is going to do in terms of charges related to the documents found at Mar-a-Lago or other things. Jeff, I have two words. If I channel Charlie Brown, those words would be good grief. Um, Jeff, Trump has never stopped running, and the left-leaning mainstream media hasn't stopped either. He's just never gone official in his bid. Well, at some point in time, you're going to get the, you know, you're going to get the point where you have to either, you know, put up or, or shut up. Jeff, I've got three words. Well, first, good Lord, Trump, quote, please go away. Um, my three-word response is, God help us. I fi- foresee a Trump finding a way to lose the election for Republicans in 2024. Well, um, you know, that's it. Jeff, please don't let him mess up this election. Um, worried people won't vote for candidates because they're fearful of another Trump presidency and all the drama. Um, right, that's why that, That's why announcing that he was going to run for president tonight would be the, the height of, of ego and narcissism. But, of course— you know, every time you think that you can't top ego and narcissism, President Trump, former President Trump, runs around it and does it. Okay, time to stop pulling punches. Uh, Donald Trump, who I, I believe, whatever you think about the Trump presidency, and I think that there's a, you can say that, you know, he accomplished a lot of good things. But I can also, I firmly believe that his behavior after he lost the election in November, leading up to what happened in January 6th, and his refusal to accept election results, and the way he has behaved over the last two years, renders him just completely unfit for office. I've said that before. I understand some of you don't like to hear that, but that's just the way I I firmly believe. And the the chaos and the management, if he were to ever be reelected again, which I think is just unlikely— what would happen is just you'd have four years of just him trying to settle scores, and the country the country needs to move on. Which brings me to the the, the stain that is Donald Trump is now infecting Wisconsin. All right, Robin Voss is the Speaker of the Assembly. Robin Voss, and I want to back up. I have known Robin Voss personally since he was the top legislative aide to Bonnie Ladwick, who was a representative from Racine. So I, 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 I've, Robin Voss and I are not personal friends, although, you know, if, we, if we're at events or something, we'll shake hands and say hi. But Voss, Voss has been a part of Republican Party politics at least, for at least 30 years, if not more. He has risen as a state representative to be the, you know, the, the Speaker of the Assembly. Robin Voss is the guy who was on the tip of the spear. You know, for example, when Scott Walker introduced, you know, Act 10, Robin Voss was the guy who, you know, hustled through, kept the Republicans united. He, along with Walker, he was one of the public faces of let's push through, you know, Act 10, let's let's do this, right? That, That was Robin Voss. He's also 
been, I think, when you look at the Republican ideas that have come through over the course of the last you know, 10, 12 years that have reshaped Wisconsin, for the better, in my opinion, you know, Voss has his fingerprints all over them. Robin Voss has also been one of the people that has done everything he possibly can to stop Tony Evers in his tracks from a lot of the stuff that Evers wanted to do with regard to spending. You know, Evers runs these campaign ads talking about, well, I've reduced taxes. Well, that that's only because all the bills that he wanted to pass through, the budget that would have jacked up taxes, guys like Robin Voss stopped him from doing that. Now, I, I bring this up because you can criticize Voss for stuff if you choose. But Robin Voss is not a rhino. He's not a Republican in name only. And, and anybody who suggests, well, this is what I said my, I just sent out a tweet. If you follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. We've got a lot of tweets out there, including your opportunity. If you follow me on Twitter, your opportunity to weigh in. Give me your predictions as to who's going to win um, Senate seat, the uh, governorship, and also whether the Republicans take control of the U.S. Senate or not. And, and give me your predictions. And we'll, if anybody gets it right, we'll, we'll call you out. But anyway, I just sent out a tweet. And the tweet says, Robin Voss is anything but a rhino. Republican in name only, and anyone who suggests anything else is a complete idiot. All right? I, I stand by that. Anybody who suggests that Robin Voss is a Republican in name only is a complete idiot. I would go farther and say that the, anybody who suggests that has no idea of history, has no idea of what's going on in Wisconsin over the course of the last, you know, two decades, etc. All right. So who would suggest that Robin Voss is, is a rhino? Well, here is the story out of the Madison paper. Trump calls Robin Voss a horrendous rhino in new robocall supporting Adam Steen. Gets this. Former President Donald Trump has re-upped his endorsement of conservative write-in state legislative candidate Adam Steen in the final week before Election Day. Did I say give me strength before? In a new pre-recorded robocall, Trump again attacks incumbent Assembly Representative Robin Voss, calling Voss a horrendous rhino, shorthand for Republican in name only. The former president tells voters to write in Steen and calls Voss, quote, an absolute disaster. Voss has really let you down on voter integrity and just about everything else. Did I mention that anybody who says that Robin Voss is a rhino is a complete and total idiot? Voss was among the, this is the story, Voss is among the most effective conservative legislators and leaders in state history, having played major roles in the passage of Act 10 and December 2018 lame deck legislation session where uh, Republicans pass bills that weaken powers of the governor and the attorney general. All right, the story continues. Um, da, 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 da. The Burlington native fell on Trump's bad side as Voss refused to support Trump's ongoing attempts to have the results of the 2020 presidential election overturned. Voss called the new robocalls not surprising because Donald Trump is singularly obsessed on the 2020 election. It's the only reason Adam Steen is running and the only reason he is a potentially viable candidate. Remember, there, there's this group of, of crazies out there that still think that they can decertify the 2020 election and that somehow the U.S. Marshals are going to walk into the Capitol in Washington and overturn the results in Wisconsin and Michigan and Arizona, and they're going to frog march Joe Biden out and reinstall Donald Trump. It is tinfoil hat time. Um, so what's going on is there's this three-way race down in, in Voss's district. You've got a, a two write-in candidates. 
You've got Steen, who is, again, one of these guys wearing the tinfoil hat about election integrity, and and we're going to reinstall Donald Trump. You've got a Democrat who's running— as well, but he's not. He's he's a write-in candidate, and then you've got Robin Voss who beat Steen in the primary. So now you've got Donald Trump who is jumping into this race and trying to encourage people to vote for uh, again this Adam Steen guy who wants to reform the entire election system in which all voters, excluding members of the military, have only one day to vote, must vote in person insisting that all ballots be counted by hand, by, by hand. Okay, th- this, is, this is Looney Tunes stuff. But, but here, and so Trump, who is still honked off at, at Robin Voss, because Robin Voss, Voss got all sorts of heat because he hired Michael Gableman, you know, to conduct this election investigation and stuff like that, an investigation that quickly went off the rails. But Trump is honked off at Voss that Voss didn't, I don't use his powers to have the election decertified, to go down this this crazy rabbit hole. And Trump hasn't been able to give that up. So he's making robocalls, encouraging people to vote for Steen. Here is the effect of this. Adam Steen, in my opinion, has no chance to win as a write-in candidate. No chance to win. If Steen had any chance, it would have been in the primary, and he came several hundred votes short of that. The thing that can happen, former President Trump— is that if you can convince enough people to write in Steen and siphon those votes away from Robin Voss, what you will do is maybe if the Democrats, who have their own write-in candidate, are able to get enough people to write in that name of that candidate, it might be enough to—you might suck away enough votes from Voss. Now, I'm not predicting this is going to happen, but you might suck away enough votes away from Voss to, in a heavily Republican district, give the seat to the Democrat. And and that's— that's what this pettiness of Donald Trump is, is all about. It's not about the Republican Party. It's not about conservatism. It's all about him. He's honked off at Voss because Voss wouldn't decertify the election. So he's going to this—he's ridden the, riding the crazy train, encouraging people to try to uh, effectively try to cut out Voss's knees electorally by voting for this other candidate. It, it's, it demonstrates, once again, the, the pettiness of, of what happens with Donald Trump. And I'm just here to tell you, regardless of how you feel about Trump, if you live in that district and you're getting these robocalls, anyone who suggests that Robin Voss is a rhino is an idiot. There's just—because <laughs> you can say a lot of stuff about Robin Voss, positive or negative. You can't say that he is a rhino— and anybody who suggests that has no clue at all of what goes on in Wisconsin. And I think it's just disgraceful that you have the former president of the United States who's decided to play in this particular assembly seat where it has the, the only effect of what he is doing, the only possible effect could be to hand this seat to a Democrat. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. But again, it shows the pettiness of Donald Trump and it shows, again, that it's, it's not about the Republican Party. It's not about the conservative movement. It's all about Donald Trump in trying to, I don't know, settle scores. And my concern is if he somehow, somehow, somehow would run for re-election, would run for election and get elected, and I don't think that's likely to happen, but this is what would be. We'd spend the next four years, 2024 to 2028, settling scores um, from, you know, the, the 2020 election. That's what this would be all about. 
And I think this this community needs to look forward. When we come back, I want to share an article, an editorial in the Wall Street Journal um, about this issue, not the Robin Voss issue, but Trump in general in just a minute. All right, this is what the this is the Wall Street Journal's editorial this morning. Donald Trump rallies for Donald Trump. Donald Trump's allies are saying the former president who lost in 2020 is going to announce as early as next week that he's running for the White House again in 2024. By the way, there's speculation that he's going to announce tonight. Um, In case you doubt it, Mr. Trump is already mocking his fellow Republicans and potential competitors before Tuesday's midterm election. Mr. Trump held a rally Saturday in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, ostensibly to boost turnout for GOP Senate candidate Melmut Oz and nominee for for governor Doug Mastriano. Trump endorsed both men in the primaries, and Mastriano is trailing in the polls. Mr. Oz is in a tight race with Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, and his defeat could cost the GOP control of the Senate. There's little doubt that David McCormick, who narrowly lost to Oz after Trump's endorsement, would be winning handily against the far-left Mr. Fetterman. But as usual with Trump, the rally turned out to be less for Mr. Oz than for Trump. During the rally, Mr. Trump showed the results of a recent poll for the GOP presidential nomination in 2024. This is a rally for for Oz. We're winning big, big, big in the Republican Party for the nomination like nobody's ever seen before, Trump said as the numbers went on screen. There it is, Trump at 71, Ron DeSanctimonious at 10%. That was a shot at Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is running for re-election in Florida, which is now Mr. Trump's home state. DeSantis is ahead in the polls, but the election isn't over. Perhaps Mr. Trump thinks that if he can reduce the governor's margin of victory on Tuesday, DeSantis will be less likely to challenge him for the nomination. Trump kept going, mocking his former vice president, who is also considering a run for the White House. Mike Pence at seven. Oh, Mike's doing better than I thought. Ha ha ha. Then he brought up Ted Cruz, the Texas senator who ran against Trump in 2016 and could run again. Ted Cruz is doing a good job, by the way. He didn't like me for a while, but we got to be friends, right? Could have put him on the Supreme Court. If I'd put him on the Supreme Court, I would have had a 100% of the Senate voting in favor just to move him out, okay? Even the Democrats would have voted for him, okay? Because he's great and he's smart and he's good. A shot at Mr. Cruz's unlikability is best understood as a warning not to run against Trump or he will return to calling him lying Ted. Mr. Trump wants to clear the GOP presidential field, and he knows that DeSantis has emerged in the last two years as his strongest political opponent. A declaration soon after the election, if he does declare, will also be an attempt to deter a possible Justice Department indictment. But his focus on his own prospects and criticizing his fellow Republicans even before a crucial midterm election is one more reminder that Mr. Trump's only abiding principle is what's good for Donald Trump, to which I say amen.